It's the Oscar Rewind Podcast. It's been, you know, about four months since we have last recorded. We are back. You know, you might have thought Andrea possibly died, but she is well and good. And we are back to discuss two more films that were nominated for an Oscar year. I can't really explain why we had such a long break, but due to that, we already discussed all five of the films that were nominated for, I believe it was the 1980 Oscar year. And of course, I believe we both obviously preferred Kramer v. Kramer of all five films. We did not do the ceremony. It's been a little too long for that. So just, you know, for simplicity's sake, I think we can unanimously agree that that for us, that would have been our best picture winner. A hundred percent. Yeah, I still vividly remember like scenes from that movie. It was so good. Dustin Hoffman was fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. We already discussed all of the five movies. We did not do the ceremony for it, but we can put that to rest since uh, we would have had Kramer v. Kramer at the top anyways. It was probably the most obvious year for us, at least. It was uh, was Mm -hmm. definitely a movie for us. It's our kind of film. So we could just take that right out of the way. Throw that up there with all the other winners we had, like Rocky Wings, E.T., Funny Girl, My Left Foot, Gaslight, and Inception. We got a bit of a roster here. Uh, What is that? We're now at, is it nine movies? Eight movies. So we are two more until we're at double digits. We're uh, almost one-ninth of the way done. Who would have thought? Yeah, pretty crazy. Wow. (laughs) But we already are skipping the ceremony. We already have picked our new year. We randomized it the exact same way that we always do. We just didn't mm-hmm. record it because that would have only been like a two-minute podcast if we went on the recording to quickly randomize a year. So uh, we just did it offline. And to keep you guys all caught up, in case you haven't read the title already, we are going to be doing the 1979 Oscar year, the year right before yeah. Kramer v. Kramer won. We're kind of moving backwards in time. Maybe we'll do 1978 next. We'll see. Sure. For the first two films we'll be discussing, uh, probably the two lesser-known films of the five nominees. We'll get these two right off the bat, and that is going to be Heaven Can Wait and The Midnight Express. So uh, I haven't heard of either of these two before we randomized this year. Maybe we should go back and check the tape for when we one of us picked this year, because neither of us recall picking this year. I don't know how it ended up on the list. I think it was me. I have no idea why I picked 1979. I'm sure I had a reason when I picked it on the podcast, but we're doing a year that neither of us have had any reason why we're doing it. Maybe I put the wrong number down and we're just doing this year for fun. Who knows? But Andrea, I haven't even technically introduced you to the podcast yet. How are you doing? I know, I know. I'm good. I was wondering when you were going to introduce me. Yeah, I just um, set people up. We've had four months of history uh, to, to fill people in on. Whoa, I'm sure they were on the edge of their seat. Um, but yeah, no, I'm alive. Uh, I mean, if any of our listeners listen to our other podcasts, they would know that, um, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I am doing great. We're just finishing up like wedding wedding things and um whatnot um yeah that's about it yeah yeah, we can blame the wedding we'll pretend that's the reason yeah absolutely i think that's fair yeah we're getting married in a few months so maybe this will we'll we'll just take another break who knows Uh, hopefully not (laughs) it's not we don't have a scheduled break right now We, we can blame that on the wedding but 
if you've been following the podcast, Andrew still did the Oscar prediction and the 2021 ranking. Yeah. So, you know, you, you probably got like, how many uh, would that be? 10 hours of content of Andrea over this yeah, two podcasts? Yeah, I've just been a little lazy. So I'm, I'm back. I'm ready to go. I'm super excited to talk about the movies today. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good podcast. All right. So, uh, you know, Heaven Can Wait and Midnight Express. I don't believe either of us have seen these two films before. Mm-hmm. I can also take a pretty good guess that every listener here has also never seen these two movies before. Mm-hmm. I feel like they uh, aren't really some of the most well-known Oscar nominations. So we, we'll, we'll walk you guys through it, go over the main storylines of both of these films and really our thoughts for them as Oscar nominations. But what was your thoughts right off the bat, Andrea, of these two films? So um, I feel like both of these films don't really fit in the box of what the Oscars typically look for. So they kind of both surprised me because uh, Heaven Can Wait, it's, it's a comedy, basically. Like it kind of like has a dark angle, but like all in all, it's a comedy. So I was kind of surprised whenever I realized that, like what was going on in it. Um, I really liked it. I liked seeing a comedy um, in the nominees for Best Picture. But then you have the flip side on the Midnight Express, which is not at all what I thought it was going to be. I think Quentin thought it was going to be about trains. I thought it was going to be about cowboys. I was going to get completely mixed up with another movie. Overall, I I actually really liked this one. Um, There were some scenes in it that I kind of was surprised the Oscars went ahead and moved forward with this one. But overall, it had a good story. It was a true story, so that kind of checks one of the those Oscar boxes. Overall, it was a sad story. It was a really sad, but I don't know, it really kept my attention. Yeah, I am glad you're the one that pointed it out, because it's the same thought I had, that these are not mm-hmm. Oscar movies. Like the, 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 I don't know how both of these got in. Um, you know, I took a quick look at the Oscar year. I guess there weren't any at the top of mind that are real Oscar picks here. Jaws 2, Halloween, Dawn of the Dead. I guess this really was the year of, like, horror films, right? Or mm-hmm. at least some well-recognized horror films. So that's probably why maybe some of these movies like Midnight Express and Heaven Can Wait snuck into the five nominations. Because, yeah, they really don't feel like Oscar films. Heaven Can Wait because I imagine most of you guys haven't seen this film, is essentially kind of like, you know, it's not as outlandish as an Adam Sandler film, but it's kind of like an Adam Sandler comedy, where, like, it has a story, but it's mostly just, like, wacky, oddball characters reacting to each other. And it is fun. It, it, it is a good time. But it, it the whole time I was just sitting here thinking... Did I put on the wrong movie? Is there two <laughs> Heaven Can Waits? Because this is not an Oscar movie. You know, doesn't mean it's not a good movie, but you would never watch Billy Madison and go, oh yeah, this is an Oscar contender. And that's kind of what it felt like watching Heaven Can Wait. I just sat there going, really? This is this is one of the top five films that the Academy deemed to be nominated? Uh, okay. And then Midnight Express, which is more of an Oscar film than Heaven Can Wait, where it's a character study, it's a true life story. So in that aspect, it is kind of like an Oscar contender. And it, is, it fits more of the bubble than Heaven Can Wait. However, it's, it's, it's still kind of like a thriller. It's a prison escape film. For those that haven't seen Midnight Express, it's not about trains. It's not about cowboys. 
even in the movie, they made a joke going, oh, a lot of people, when they hear Midnight Express, they think it's, they think we're talking about trains, but it's prison slang for an escape. And I thought, oh, well, hey, I'm one of those guys that thought this was about trains. I, I, I was fooled. So yeah, you know, it's kind of like uh, Shawshank Redemption meets the tone of Silence of the Lambs, where it has kind of like this thriller style to it, especially mm-hmm. with the coloring, similar to Silence of the Lambs. And obviously both of those movies were big Oscar contenders, so maybe this falls in line with that. But it does feel very, it feels a little too thriller to be a big Oscar push, uh, but they both were. They're kind of the two outliers of these five. Haven't seen the other three yet, but from what I understand of the other three nominated films that we'll be discussing, for those of you that aren't familiar with the 1979 nominations, that includes An Unmarried Woman, Coming Home, and the Best Picture winner, The Deer Hunter. Oh yeah, I would say these are probably the two outliers. It's kind of funny that they ended up together. Yeah. I know, polar opposites, but yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which one do you think would least fit the Oscars of the two, if you were to take a guess? Uh, Heaven Can Wait or Midnight Express? I'm going to go with Heaven Can Wait. This one, like I said, totally like knocked me off my feet. I do not see anything in it that like your typical Oscar film would typically have in it. So it, it was a big surprise for me. It's funny that you said that because want me to maybe tell you a little fact that blew my mind when I looked it up? Sure. This is tied for the most nominations of the year. Heaven Can Wait. Oh, wow. Holy cow. This has as many nominations as The Deer Hunter, which ends up winning Best Picture. Uh, maybe the Oscar people back in 1979 had a better sense of humor. Not yeah. sure. <laughs> but can we have them back? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Honestly, this movie would get zero nominations if it now. came out in 2022. Yeah. This is not an Oscar movie in the slightest. Uh, well, except, except like it's a feel-good movie, right? In a way. I didn't even feel that good watching it, but like I can see how other people might. Yeah. So, you know, uh, very interesting. So we can start with Heaven Can Wait first, now that we're on the topic. Uh, It was, you know, let's go over its eight nominations here. It was nominated for Lead Actor, for Supporting Actor, for Supporting Actress, for Cinematography, for Directing, for Score, for Adapted Screenplay, and it won Art Direction. So it had eight nominations, only won one. Wow, it won Art Direction? Which is the one I would give it. Really? I think the art direction is the funniest part of this movie. It is like the beating heart for me. The room where it's just all of that wacky pattern. This lady, for those of you who haven't seen it, has a bedroom. Oh, yeah, I forgot about her bedroom. Oh, my God, it's iconic. That her bedroom is just this floral pattern everywhere. And by everywhere, I mean the floor, the ceiling, the four walls all have the pattern. Not just that, though. The bed has the pattern. The table has the pattern. Like every piece of furniture has the same pattern. You walk in and it's just like you're in this pattern. You've become the pattern. It is a very dystopian style. It it just feels like you're not even existing in like an actual room. It's like you're in a completely different world. Uh, It's just so wacky and hilarious. That room alone (laughs) should have gotten the win for Earth Direction, I thought. It was just so funny and absurd. Very over the top. It was a real Billy Matt. Billy Madison's my example because we just watched it recently. But like, it's a real Adam Sandler joke where a character just has such an absurd room. Like, it's just yeah. so hilarious. Every time they walk in the room, it cracks me up. I never got bored of that room. So you know, 
Uh, for, for that alone, I thought the art direction was pretty deserving. Uh, the rest of the movie, the art direction was fine. I think the reason why this one was A, that iconic room that they go to quite a few times, and B, I think the look of heaven, yeah, where they have the plane with the mist and they have to enter the plane, like that is a really cool set. Uh, so I think they just have some unique sets for this style that actually work pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I can second it, second that. I, I like the look of heaven. I like what they were going for in that scene, definitely. And, you know, as far as the rest of these, I don't really know if they should have been nominated, but I'm glad they didn't win. I would say Art Direction would have been the only one I would have given it, and they got it. So, you know, I feel like I agree with the Oscar wins most of the time. I feel like they, they kind of get it right a, a good amount because I thought the Art Direction was a good pick, and the rest of these, um, you know... All the performances were good. I don't, I, you know, I wouldn't say any of them blew me away. So yeah, I think this is pretty fair. I'm just still stuck on this tied with uh, the Deer Hunter. I was shocked. Like this could have been our Best Picture winner. Like I'm shook. Yeah, imagine living in a world <laughs> where heaven can wait one Best Picture. Holy cow, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we can talk about the storyline of Heaven Can Wait, and let's really start piecing this together because the story. Uh, is not really like an Adam Sandler comedy. Like, it has the comedy elements, but the story is very convoluted. I thought it was a little... I, I got a little confused at the ending, so maybe you can help explain this for me, because the ending kind of... I, I don't know. I don't really know what the fuck happened. But the beginning is a little more understandable. Mm -hmm. We have a guy. The actor's name is Warren Beatty. I'm trying to remember what his character's name was. Uh, his name was Joe, and... He uh, was living a pretty good life. He's uh, an athlete ready to uh, get the big win. So, you know, like, you know, a sports movie for all you sport fans out there. But unfortunately, uh, during one of his uh, bike incidents, he's just, you know, going for a nice little stroll, getting himself pumped up in the morning. He walks into, you know, he, he, he enters a tunnel. And then we get to the other end of the tunnel. We see two vehicles, both on one end of the road and on the other end of the road, driving into the tunnel as well. I don't know why he was biking in the middle of the street. Maybe you should have biked on the side or maybe not go into a block tunnel. But hey, you know what? To each their own. He biked inside. The two vehicles on the other end of the tunnel drive inside. Get a big crash. Cut to. Wow. Joe's in heaven. Yeah. And basically he gets into heaven and they're where they're doing the airplane scene for heaven and they're going to take him the rest of his journey and it turns out that this little angel has kind of jumped the gun and he took joe before he was supposed to because he just like oh man this guy's gonna die i'm gonna go ahead and just take him and the lead angel is like no no you, you weren't supposed to do that that's that's not fair he wasn't actually technically dead when you took him and then that's kind of where the story gets a little more interesting yeah, so the angel, in this world, there's angels that retrieve people when they die. So he's like a retriever. I guess we're really going to sports terms here, <laughs> since this is a sport movie. So, so he was here to retrieve the person when they die and bring them up to heaven. And so instead of waiting till he dies, he goes, okay, well, the dude's biking in the middle of a road and there's two giant vehicles driving towards him. The dude's gonna die. I'm just gonna whip this guy out, just, you know, yank him off before he actually gets hurt. Because I... <laughs> I kind of agree with the angel. You don't, you, you don't want to need to see all the broken bones and blood everywhere. That, that, that's gross, you know. 
That's unsanitary. Uh, just make it nice and easy. Just pick him up right before he gets hit. I get it. Not a bad call. But obviously, as Andrew just said, yeah, he wasn't supposed to. He wasn't actually going to die. He would have survived that. And so he pulled him out when he wasn't supposed to. Mm-hmm. And now he's got to go back to heaven. Heaven can wait, baby. Roll the credits. We he's just said the name of the title. Yeah, He's got to go back to Earth. He's not supposed to be up here. He's supposed to be alive. Yeah. What did you do there, sir? And now this is, if you think too much about the story, it doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. when they tell him, oh, hey, you're going to get hit, but we actually yanked you right before. And the Joe guy is going, no, 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 no. I wasn't supposed to die. I'm not, I, I can't die. I was just about to hit the big game, baby. What, yeah. what, what, what are you doing pulling me? So they go up to a dude with a clipboard who's letting the people up to the plane, right, to enter heaven. And they go up to the dude with the clipboard and tell him, hey, all right. Can you just quickly check and confirm when Joe is supposed to die? Because he has a clipboard of every single person and their time of death when they're mm-hmm. supposed to die. He pulls up the clipboard, looks at it, and goes, oh, hey, Joe. Yeah, you're not supposed to die for, like, another 26 years or something. Yeah. And Joe was like, that's what I've been saying. This guy retreated <laughs> me for no reason. <laughs> so here's my issue, Andrew. What the fuck are the, are the retrievers supposed to do? If they have a clipboard that tells you when they're going to die, why don't the retrievers just chill by the clipboard guy? And the clipboard guy goes, oh, hey, Susan, uh, down at the uh, Starbucks on the left, she's going to die because she's going to choke on some hot coffee in a few minutes. Want to just head down there? Like, shouldn't they just send them when they're right about to, like, he knows when they're going to die. You think think their communication with each other would be a little bit better? And this poor little guy wouldn't have jumped the gun because he would have had a clipboard, his own clipboard of names saying, okay, these are the people I will be retrieving. Yeah. Um, But it didn't work that way. What was he doing down there? (laughs) I have no idea. He wasn't even supposed to die. He's just chilling by the tunnel waiting for Joe. (laughs) They literally have a clipboard that says when people are going to die. What's he doing with Joe? He's not supposed to die for another 26 years. I, I don't know. See, no, no. if you think too much about this movie, it makes you no can't. sense. You literally just can't think too much about this storyline at all. So yeah. this is another reason why it blows my mind this time for Best yeah. Picture almost. This was almost an Oscar winner. <laughs> Crazy. Well, to be fair, it only got one win. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it was really close to be an Oscar winner. But, you know, it did get a lot of noms. It was, it was, it was a favorite uh, in the crowd here. Taking a quick look, I would guess Coming Home would have been the second closest. It had less nominations, but it had three wins. Mm-hmm. So my guess would be that was the next runner-up here. Mm. But you know, uh, th- this was in the mix for a Best Picture winner, potentially. And obviously, the, like we said, this is kind of like an Adam Sandler film. It's, it's just like a wacky story, just have some dumb fun. So, you know, you shouldn't be analyzing this. We're, we're kind of nitpicking here. But that was the first thing I thought of when I saw it. I thought, wait, they have a boar that tells you when they're dead? What, what's the retrieving doing down there then? Like, what's going on? Come on. But, you know, uh, if Billy Madison was nominated for Best Picture, I'm sure there'd be people doing podcasts nitpicking that. So, you know, it, it's, it's fair game. When, when it's up here in contention, uh, we're just having fun. But this is where it gets really fun. I, I think this was one of the best bits of the movie mm-hmm. where you have... Joe and the retrieving angel, they now have to put him back into a body. Obviously, he pulled that body, so he can't put him back into Joe. Joe was already announced dead. He's already in the dirt by the time they realized their mistake. They, they were too late. They can't put him back in and his did, body. And didn't they cremate him as well? So that was yeah. supposed to be another thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I believe they cremated him. So they literally could not put him back in the body. No. It is burned. So now we get to a really funny bit. Uh, This is really when the comedy comes out. 
where he's now trying to put Joe into a body. And the rules to this, there's so many rules to this. We're, we're trying to piece this together. As soon as someone dies, as soon as the person dies, and obviously they have the clipboard, and now they're using the clipboard. They should have used it when they first pulled Joe, kidding. but they got it now. So they're going, okay, hey, this guy's going to die in two minutes. Let's go take a look at this guy. They go over to the guy that's just about to die, and Joe and the angel are analyzing this dude to decide if Joe wants to be in this dude's body. Because as soon as he dies, Joe can jump into the body, and the person comes back to life now as Joe, encompassing, encompassing this new person. So it's a really funny bit. They got they have like a German motorcycle, a German race car driver. They got this person, that person. They're jumping around trying to figure out who he wants to be. Joe uh, landed on you know a pretty rich preppy guy, and this is kind of where the story and this is kind of where it gets real funny because I don't know. Maybe walk me through this. I, I get one to jump into a rich guy's body because now he's got like millions of dollars and he's this living this luxurious life. But if you're Joe. The German race car driver is actually like a fit body. So he could theoretically go back to being an athlete, like what he wants. And he died in a car, and the, and the German guy died because he had like a, he crashed his car mm-hmm. and he died. So he just died from a natural, you know, natural cause, as natural as a driving a car in a race could be. But instead he goes to the preppy rich guy who is not very athletic, so he would not make a good athlete. And, 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 and. He knows the cause of the death. He died because his wife poisoned him. Mm-hmm. So he knows that, you know, if he now jumps back into this body, he now has a wife that's going to try and kill him. Right? Like, like he's, he, he could die again. He is now, like, at risk. If you go in the race, if he goes into the German guy, he's not going to die again. He's fine. No. Because he just won't drive the car. And, anyway, you know, he just won't crash a car. He's good to go. No. But there's somebody actively trying to murder him in this other world. <laughs> but instead, he decided to choose that one, which, you know, it would have been a much more boring film. Might not have been nominated for Best Picture if he picked the race car guy. But, but we got a story on our hands now. Oh, we have a real story. But also, he's this rich dude, and he can do all these things. Like, you'll see later in the movie, we'll discuss the things that he can do because he has so much money. Um, so I think that might have been a factor as well that maybe played into it. Like, you're right, it doesn't make sense. But I'm trying, trying to equal it out for why he would go into this guy's body when his wife is trying to kill him. Yeah. So now, pretty much the rest of the story is he is now the rich guy. He hires his old coach. And his coach actually finds out that it's him. He finds out that he's now in this body. I'm impressed the coach caught on pretty quickly. But he, he did. And so now he is now coaching this rich guy to once again become this athlete so he can win the big game. Meanwhile, we have his wife and her lover both trying to murder this guy because they want to be together. And so both of these two are the best. Uh, And it's the wife's room that's super wacky. Mm -hmm. These two are the peak of the show. They're the reason why I think this movie's pretty fun. They're the bread and butter of this movie. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're definitely real comedy. They're hilarious with their little schemes and what they're trying to pull off and they they add a lot of a lot of the comedy to the movie. Yeah, they keep trying to murder him, he keeps yeah. trying to avoid it. It's real it's a real Tom and Jerry situation. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he uses his wealth to pretty much buy his old sports team again. Mm-hmm. And so now he's he's got the team back. And he told the team, hey, I, I, I'm now, since I'm rich, I'm now going to be the new leader or the quarterback or whatever. I don't know anything about sports. He's putting himself in the team. 
And I like how they even had a moment where the stocks of it plummeted because some rich guy bought it out. And everybody thinks this rich preppy guy and then, is screwing them over. And in, in reality, that's true. Like, if that really happened, some rich guy just bought out a team and yeah. forced himself on the team, that would be insane. insane. People would lose their mind. So it is funny. And then, like, you also have this scene where the guy that owned the team prior is sitting there crying. And he's like, I never thought he would take the bid or whatnot. Um, so it's just, it's really over the top with a lot of the stuff, the stuff that they show. But really quick, I just wanted to go back and touch back uh, to the scene where he t- like had to convince his coach he was who he was. That was one of my favorite scenes. Um, he just started bringing up all this old stuff that the coach knew. And then at the end, he started playing his clarinet. His clarinet is kind of his signature thing that I don't know if everyone knows he plays the clarinet or it's just the coach. But I really like that because that's when he started taking him more serious, when he started to play the little tune that he used to play. I don't know. I thought it added a lot of flavor to it. He really had to work to convince his coach because his coach thought he was freaking nuts. He was like, this guy is insane. Yeah, and this is kind of, I'm assuming, this is the same directorial decision that they did in Wonder Woman 1988. So he takes over the guys uh, of the rich guy's body, right? Obviously, we as an audience still see him as the guy that died at the very beginning of the movie. He's still the same actor. He still looks exactly like the actual guy. So it, it, it's it's kind you kind of have to keep that in mind the whole time because as he's trying to convince people that it's him. We're watching this, going, of course it's fucking you. You you look just like him, like like that. That's who you are. But in everyone else's eyes, he's that rich preppy guy, similar to Wonder Woman where Chris Pine takes over the body of another guy, and we all see him as Chris Pine, but everybody else in the world theoretically sees him as the other guy. They just don't realize that he's taken over by Chris Pine. So that's kind of the exact same situation. And, you know, it definitely works for comedic effect. You really, you just have to remember that the audio, the people in the film aren't seeing him as we're seeing them. I don't know. I kind of like it. I kind of love that they think that he's a different person. I don't know. Kind of exciting. I only got the last 20 minutes left of the movie to discuss. Is there anything else you want to say before we really get start to unweave really where the movie starts to unravel for me? Um, no, I mean, not really. Okay. By the last 20 minutes, we have the wife and her lover. The lover comes out with a gun. And shoots the main character. And he dies. Again. And this time he actually dies. And so... In my mind, he's dead. He, he actually died this time. He wasn't pulled out before he was supposed to. He's dead. But the angel said, oh well... You're not supposed to die until uh, another 26 years. So... We're just going to keep you alive again. So does this mean the dude's invincible? Like he could just keep dying? But until his predetermined death before they screwed it up... He's just good to go. I don't really understand exactly what was going on here. So now we have him dead again, and he has to re-enter another body. And this time around, they look on the TV, and there is a sports team where the guy on the field gets a concussion or something, dies, and he quickly jumps into the sports guy's body, okay? So he jumps into the sports guy's body. The coach instantly realizes that's him somehow. I don't really understand how he clicked together, but he, he pretty quickly realized, hey, 
Yeah. That's my boy on the field. I think there was some little hint in there that we were supposed to pick up that he knew Joe jumped into that guy's body. Yeah. I have no idea how. But also, his girlfriend knew as well when she was watching. And I was like, how? How did they know that he took over this guy's body? I, I was mm-hmm. clueless. Did he pull out a clarinet and just start playing on the field? Uh, maybe <laughs> I missed it. No, I wish he would have. That would have been comical. I would have loved that. Yeah, so he took over this guy's body. Now we're going to get even more confusing, right? So hopefully the audience is piecing this together better than I am. But the coach and his girlfriend, we, we totally ignore his girlfriend. He has a girlfriend. She's not as funny as his wife, so I'm, I'm more of a fan of the wife. Yeah, but anyways, she wasn't very funny. The two of them fly all the way over or drive over to the game that he's now possessed the body of. They're playing a game, okay? And his whole point of living, I believe, is because he wants to win the game. That determines his life. And so they play the game. They win. And as soon as they win, uh, they're celebrating. Whoop, yippee holleree. We won the game. Hip, hip, cheerio. The coach runs over on the field. I don't know how he got access because I don't think that's his team. <laughs> Not. goes up to joe and goes hey are you joe and joe's like i am coach oh my gosh you recognize me look at my new bod i just got the win baby and the coach is like heck yeah let's go i'll meet you out in the locker room we'll slap some dicks around uh you know that, that, that's how sport players do it in the locker room isn't it i don't know i don't do sports i thought it was slaps butts okay but well maybe they slap dicks well, you know. too not sure I hear slap cheeks, and I thought it involved some penises or something. But anyways, they, he's like, I'll meet you in the locker room. We'll bro it out out there. I'll see you soon. And Joe's like, all right, I'll see you soon. Coach goes in the locker room. He follows suits right after. Then they, the angels say, okay, you won your game. Now we have to make you forget who you are. Yeah. So, so, so this is what I'm confused about, okay? So Joe... Knows he is Joe. Enters a player's body on the field right when the player dies. So the player dies. Joe enters the body. Knows he is Joe. Everyone thinks he's the guy, but he knows he's Joe because the guy is dead. That guy with Joe's conscience wins the game. Then they go, hey, you forget your Joe. Who is in this body? The guy is dead. It is Joe who doesn't know he's Joe. So who does he think he is? I don't get it. So he is living this life now, not knowing he's Joe. So like, what does he think happened? Does he think he just woke up in a football outfit on the field and won a game? Like, does he not realize his entire existence? Is he a new, is he like a third being? Is he a new conscience in a new body that has no idea what happened? And this is the first day of his existence. He just woke up in a sport guy. Like, I just don't understand. I don't understand this decision of, oh, now you don't know who you're, you don't know you're Joe. So they all think he's this one guy. He doesn't know who he is. So he just starts to think he's this guy. But he is like, if, you know, if his mom came up to him, does he know that's his mom? Because he's not Joe, but he's not that one guy. I, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. The last 10 minutes makes no sense to me. What does this mean? Why did they make him not remember who Joe is? I, I don't know. I can't give you any clarity on that because I was really confused on why they completely needed to wipe his brain. It made zero sense to me i thought it would still be okay if he knew he was joe but then like he's not gonna have any of the old relationships that he had before so i am not sure like what they were going with there at all yeah and then the coach meets him after and realizes oh wait he's not joe anymore and the coach just goes okay 
Joe's not. I gotcha. Big sad. But like, that is Joe. He just doesn't know he's Joe. I don't know. Makes no sense. And it, the, the, the decision doesn't make any sense either. The story makes no sense, but like the direction it goes it, it, it is odd because then it's supposed to be a sweet tone, I guess, when he meets the girlfriend again and they just naturally hit it off. Like they're just naturally into each other. And maybe the sign of the story is no matter how many bodies he enters, no matter whose life he lives, he's destined to be with this girl, which I guess is a sweet tone. But I don't know. He has no existence. It's just, it's like a walking corpse at this point with this girl. It was a weird tone. Even if he knew he was Joe and he was in this guy's body, he could still have that same tone of no matter whose life he is, he still wants to be with this girl, right? Like it's still the same message. I don't know. The final 15 minutes makes no sense to me. Um, but you know, once again, it, it's, a, it's mostly just a comedy. I guess I shouldn't be thinking too much about it because I had a pretty fun time. I thought it was a pretty fun movie. I, I don't even care the last 15 minutes doesn't make that much sense because it was still a pretty funny last 15 minutes. I thought it was pretty hilarious that he forgot who he was for no reason. Like, I just thought that was funny. So it was a good movie. I had a good time. Yeah, overall, good movie. Definitely. Um, it kept my interest. Like I said, once again, I was just astonished it was nominated for a Best Picture. Yeah, overall, pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely shocked that it was nominated for Best Picture. I was pretty thrown off. I think by the time we entered that woman's room and it was that wacky pattern, I just sat there going, man, this is, a, this is an Oscar nominee? Like, it, it just feels so wacky and different. Uh, it's fun. Honestly, this isn't a critique at all. I think more movies like this should be nominated for Best Picture. No offense to last year's slate for the 2021 Oscar-nominated movies. But how much more fun would that slate have been if Barb and Star go to Vesta Del Mar was there? Like, come oh my on. God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wacky. That definitely would have brought the wacky yeah. back into the Oscars. And that movie is hilarious. And, and, and it's actually exceptionally well directed and edited. You know, if they didn't have this stigma of just hating fun, wacky comedies, yeah. it could have been nominated. It's just, it has the stigma. So I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad this movie, yeah, obviously this movie is not as wacky as uh, Barb and Star. No. But, you know, it, like, movies like that should have more of a chance, and it just doesn't. For 1979, this was pretty wacky. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> for the time. Yeah, this is, this is pretty good. Honestly, I had a good time with it. I don't know about you, Andrea. But anyways, we can discuss the nominations it got and kind of break down what we thought of these nominations. We can talk about all the nominations it got. And once again, it got a lot. It was nominated for Adapted Screenplay. It did not win. It actually lost to the other movie we're going to be discussing, which is The Midnight Express. Um, and you know, I think that's okay with me. Uh, once again, I think the worst part of this movie is its script. I think that the story is just, a, it doesn't make any sense. And if you think about it for more than five seconds, you kind of have your brain here i think i'm okay with uh, not getting the win here uh i think the nomination was pretty generous maybe it was a weak year for screenplays uh what about you though andrew what, what do you think of the screenplay for heaven can wait you know it was all right like you said don't think too much about it just have fun with the whole idea but i i think it's a good call that it didn't win to be honest i don't think it was that strong of an adaptive screenplay so yeah, there, it must have been a pretty weak year, for sure. And uh, another nomination that it got 
Similar to Midnight Express, uh, they both were nominated for score. What did you think of the score for this film? I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't really remember the score from this one in particular. Uh, when we talk about Midnight Express, that's a different story entirely. Um, but I don't remember a lot of the score from this one. Yeah, the score, I don't remember a whole lot about it. It didn't um, stand out. From what I remember, it, it's nothing too special. It was pretty, I don't want to say the word generic, so that, that's rude to say, because I, you know, most scores fit what they're trying to do. And this film, once again, being very similar to just like a traditional 2000s comedy is really what it feels like, uh, in essence. I, I think it's like, it's just, it's a similar score to that, where it's very lighthearted, it's not in the forefront of anything, so it's an odd nomination to have. The other one that I don't really love, but it, it got directing, same as Midnight Express, and you know, I think the directing's fine for having Kuwait. I think one of my issues with the movie is some of the directing choices, but on the flip side, some of my favorite moments are the directing decisions, where I liked how they had that segment where he was debating on which body to jump into. I thought the way that they showed that was really fun. So, I, you know, so, uh, directing was kind of hit or miss. Yeah, it was... It was definitely middle of the road for me. Um, nothing crazy awesome. Nothing like I was like, wow, I completely turned my head. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see why they didn't win this category as well. Yeah, uh, we already briefly discussed the only winning got, which was art direction. I don't know about you, Andrea, but I think that bedroom alone uh, is worthy of it. I thought it was the bedroom is comical. You guys can even just look up photos of it just to kind of get a feeling for it. I recommend it because it's so funny. It's really absurd. Yeah, honestly, at first I was like, why did they win that? But then you kind of reminded me about her bedroom and it's literally so over the top. Like, I just can't even with it. Um, and then the airplane scene for heaven was really spectacular as well. Yeah. So I, I can see why it did actually win. And also, I think the reason why that room is so hilarious is because the rest of the movie kind of just looks like a normal house, yeah. and a normal backyard. Like everything looks so normal and that kind of works for the characters. Everybody else in the real world, uh, some of the angels are a little wacky, but in the real world, everybody's so normal to an essence, except for the wife that wants to get him murdered. She is hilariously cartoonish. She is fantastic. And so because she's so absurd, it's just perfect that her bedroom is so absurd. So I think that it fits her personality really well. She seems like a person that would have this insane room. Like it doesn't feel odd. It just feels perfect for her. And I think that is what makes it fun. So I think mm -hmm. our direction, honestly, uh, Screw it. I think it deserves it. Like, do I think the art direction's great? Uh, no. But do I think that bedroom earned it? Heck yeah, baby. That's, that's comedy right there. Uh, and then it, went, it was nominated for cinematography. I actually think, for the most part, it's kind of whatever. But I thought some of the cinematography decisions, some of the camera choices were pretty decent. So, you know, uh, I'm okay with that as getting a nomination. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was anything like crazy awesome either. So I guess it's cool it got it. Good it didn't win it. <laughs> so now we can talk about the three acting nominations. Because I got nominated for three yeah. acting nominations. This is really the Kramer v. Kramer of 1978. It's pretty solid, yeah. yeah. Or I guess, it, you know, 1978 films, 1979 Oscars. The year yeah. right before Kramer v. Kramer, we had a real 
acting sleuth of nominations here. We have the lead actor for Warren Beatty. What did you think of him? The lead actor was great. This guy was so good at being like just over the top and like really into things. And I don't know, I just really liked his behaviors, um, how he dealt with the situations where the wife was trying to kill him. Yeah, overall, he was a really good team player, and I think he really just embraced the role. Honestly, I didn't really like him. I thought he was oh, fine. Wow. Like, I liked him. He's I good. He's good. Yeah. Like I said, he's good. Uh, I don't know if I would, you know. I guess I have to look at all the other movies that uh, had some nominations for, but I don't think he was I, a huge I will standout. say, I'm going to assume he didn't win, um, no. which, is, which is fair. Like, he was good, but... It was a comedy role. Do you really expect a, a comedy like lead actor to actually win the overall? I don't, but yeah. He's really good for what the movie's going for, which is like kind of like the straight man surrounded by a bunch of yeah. wacky people. Yeah. Because he's not great, but he helps make everyone else look better, right? Like everyone looks crazier when they're next to him because he's kind of just the straight man. So he's, he's, he's good for the movie. I don't know if he's really this great performance, but, uh, you know, good for Warren. I'm proud of him. For the Best Supporting Actor, we had Jack Warden nominated, and that is going to be the coach of the movie. Once again, I was a fan of the coach. I liked that um, he had to be won back over by Joe. So he, I don't know he stood out for me as well. Probably not the, the strongest supporting role, but I'm glad he got a nomination. Yeah, I actually think Jack Warner was a pretty solid performance. I thought he was pretty good. I, I liked him quite a bit more than Warren Beatty, and I think it's because he just builds off of him. I think the coach is kind of the heart of the movie, because he's kind of us, right? He's mm -hmm. the only person that knows who he is, just like the audience. And so his reaction to try and do everything he can to uh, put him back in the game is, you know, we're, we're rooting for him. We're, we're just like the coach. We're, we're coaching the lead with him. And so I feel like he's really, uh, really much the heart of this movie. I think he was really great. You know, he was still comical at times. He was very over the top when he saw him on the screen and he was chasing him out. Like, I thought the coach had the perfect mix of relatability and comedy. He was good. Yeah, and I guess you're right. Yeah, he is relatable to us because, yeah, he's the only person who actually knows that, that's, that it's Joe from, like, the start. Hmm, interesting point. Yeah. And finally, the last performance that was nominated, uh, save the best for last, because we have the Best Supporting Actress, which is Diane Cannon, who plays the wife, baby. I knew. I knew when you said it that this was going to be her. I love that. She was over the top. She she was great. She probably was, like you said, the literally the best part of this movie. Just because of the shit she was trying to do the whole time. And most of it like eventually like always backfired on her. She was great. I liked I liked how she uh, embraced the character. Yeah, when I first saw that there was a best supporting actress nomination, I got a little nervous. I thought it was gonna be the girlfriend. Because it's, you know, it's the emotional character, the one that, you know, and she's more of a normal performance. You know, Oscars don't really like uh, cartoonish villains, but I was wrong. Uh, the, the Oscars, I think they, every nomination for this movie uh, that they should have given it, they did. And I think that's great because they appreciate a good female villain who is hilarious and absurd 
and she deserved this nomination. Heck, I don't know who wins. I would even go as far as say she would have been a pretty hilarious winner. <laughs> like she was just, she's so hilarious. She's my favorite part of the film. Everything about her is so much fun. So I, I, you know, I'm pretty stoked that the Oscars kind of got it right here. Uh, I think she's a good nomination. So that's everything for the Heaven Can Wait side of this podcast. Is there anything else you want to say about this movie before we move on to Midnight Express? No, not really. I think that if you want to check a movie out that does not really fit what the Oscars typically look for, this is a great one to watch. Not bad. Definitely not. Don't go in there expecting a real wacky movie. I lightly compared it to Barb and Star, just as like a fun comparison to modern film. It's really not Barb and Star. It's not super wacky. It's wacky for the Oscars. So as long as we know that going in, the wackiest this movie gets is the wife's just trying to kill him and the room is pretty funny looking. Like it's not absurdist comedy. It's just a lighthearted comedy. Uh, that, that is a feel-good film, so it doesn't feel super out of the lines here. It feels like Coda if they slapped on, like, a few Adam Sandler jokes. That, that's what it kind of feels like. It's lighthearted, kind of a nice, simple movie that has some good jokes in it. So uh, tamper your expectations. I might have overblown it a little bit with the wackiness. But for an Oscar movie, it, it you know, it is, a, it, it is odd. It is a pretty fun comedy. I recommend it. It's a pretty easy watch. Yeah. Why not? Go check out Heaven Can Wait. What would be your storyboard for this film, Andrea? Oh my god, I forgot about the storyboard. So while you think about it, I'll quickly enlighten everybody, because it's been four months, so whether you're new or not, you might have already forgotten. But way back when we discussed the 1945-nominated year, there was a random award for Best Original Story, which was a little odd. I looked it up. It was the only year I believe it was ever a thing. And we kind of, just for fun, kind of contribute it to an elevator pitch. What would be your one, two, maybe three sentence pitch for this movie? What's like the defining story? And Andrew, what would be your story for Heaven Can Wait? I think I'm going to go with man dies. He jumps body to body until he finally gets the football win. Mine, I'm going to just do a three-word pitch instead of a three-sentence pitch and is going to be Freaky Friday Football. That's Ooh, my name. Ooh, nice one. Yeah, thank you. I just thought of that on the, on the spot. All right. Damn. We can now discuss a total polar opposite film. Just style, and according to the Academy, because not do as well as Heaven Can Wait, believe it or not, and that is Midnight Express, which is much more of a darker film I, I, it takes itself very seriously it's a very intense film once again i compared it to like shawshank meets sons of the lambs it's like a thriller prison escape and it was nominated for five awards here it was nominated for best supporting actor best directing best editing and it won best score and best adapted screenplay so it won two it won more than heaven can wait but it was nominated for about half Wow! Wow. And a one thing right off the bat that I noticed, I don't know if you picked up on it, it did not get nominated for lead actor. The guy from Heaven Can Wait was nominated for best lead actor, and the guy in Midnight Express, which was a character study on him, didn't get nominated. That's kind of crazy, because I actually think the actor in that was better than the Heaven Can Wait actor, but... Yeah, he was really good in he was Midnight amazing, Express, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, you know, I'll say right off the bat, uh, Midnight Express is everything that is, it's everything that I like. I love thrillers. I am kind of a sucker for prison escapes. I think they're a really fun genre. Uh, not genre, but you know, like theme or storyline. The build up to, yeah. to it. Yeah. So I really love prison escape films. I think they're really fun. I'm a sucker for thrillers. Uh, I like the dark gritty aspect. You really mm. like true stories. Uh, most of the time I like them. So, it, you know, I enjoy them. True story, definitely. Uh, this is probably like not the best version of a prison escape story. I don't really know if I loved the movie. I think you might be able to convince me because I think you liked it a lot more than I did. I think I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Ada <laughs> really liked it. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of torn. I think both of these are really fun uh, in totally different ways. I actually don't know which one I like more. Uh, they're pretty neck to neck wow. to me. So, you know, maybe you can convince me here during this journey we'll see of the Midnight Express. Goes. But even though I didn't love this movie, I thought the lead actor was great. I'm shocked I didn't get it. I feel like this must have been an upset. Did it have any acting? Was there any acting? Sorry. It got one supporting actor. Oh, okay, okay. So we can kind of work through this. And actually, maybe I'm already starting to convince myself that I'm liking this more because I already kind of forgot how amazing the first 15 minutes of this movie was where we have the lead character who has a bunch of drugs on him and he straps it onto himself as he's getting on this plane because he's in Turkey. He has a bunch of drugs and he's trying to bring it back across the border. Mm -hmm. So he puts it on his, on his chest here and... This whole sequence is fantastic because as he's trying to get on this plane, he's going through customs, he's going through this and that. He goes to the bathroom to calm down. He's trying to get everything figured out. And the whole time, in the background, you just hear the heartbeat. And it's like, and because of that, it just feels intense the entire time. Even when it like, there's dialogue going on in the background, you can still faintly hear the heartbeat. And it's because he is not, like, his heart is pounding this entire time he is freaking out because he has never done something like this before and so the audience is kind of freaking out we don't even know who this guy is we don't know what he's doing we don't even know what is exactly on his chest we don't know the situation we know nothing all we know is there's this random guy who we haven't even heard him speak yet and he's freaking out and we're freaking out with him and the fact that within a minute or two we are already invested in how intense the situation is that's awesome like you're feeling it i i really felt like those first the first 15 minutes was probably some of the best parts of the film might have peaked right at the beginning it was a good start i wonder how long did the movie go before you even heard someone talk because it it was quite a bit of time where you're like literally just hearing this guy like freaking out like with the heartbeat and whatnot well like there's little bits of dialogue okay like, he talks to his girlfriend and tells her that he's going to go to the bathroom quickly, right? Like, like little things like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, like, the first 15 minutes is mostly, essentially, just a silent movie. Like, there are mm-hmm. moments where there's talking, but it, it's just to kind of make us know so why he's going small. to the bathroom. It's mostly a feeling that's trying to get us. Which yeah. is anxiety and fear for what's about to happen to this guy. We, we don't even know we his name. Know, we just know he's completely freaking out. And honestly, at first, you actually can't tell it's drugs. We thought it might have been something else. Well, because he strapped it to his chest. Yeah, we thought yeah. it was a bomb at yeah. first. But then, yeah, drugs made sense as well. He's just trying to get it on his body however he can. Um, so, so, yeah, a super intense start. Yeah, and as soon as he... You know, as soon as the police realize there's something on him, right? Yeah. And they all have guns pointed at him and they have him lift his shirt up. And for a second, they also thought it was a bomb until they realized he was just trying to smuggle drugs and they were all laughing at him because he's an idiot. But I thought that that was really funny. Oh, as that well. was super funny. I liked when they were all laughing at him as well. Yeah. Uh. So 
That's literally the start of the movie. Uh, he instantly gets arrested, and so he gets thrown into jail. He is told that it is going to be, uh, you know, they're fighting to see if they can get him out, or he could possibly just be getting three years in jail. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just want to say, like, a really quick thing from the beginning. Um, when I watched this, this movie reminded me of a movie I watched a super long time ago called uh, Broke Down Palace where it's about kind of like smuggling drugs. The only thing is, in that movie, the girls didn't know they had drugs on him. In this movie, he did know that he had drugs because he was trying to take them back to sell them. Yeah, so I kind of just really liked that whole whole aspect. And then, you know, he is in a foreign country where their laws are a lot stricter than the laws in the United States. Uh, so he doesn't really, I think in his head, know the impact of what he is actually doing and what the risk could be. Because in the movie, he's thinking he's only going to get three years. They're wanting to give him like life in prison for, for doing this. Something that in, you know, in the United States, uh, probably in Canada, we see something very minor. But they see it as like almost like a death sentence. Yeah, and the prosecutor is trying to push for a life sentence, mm-hmm. and he has no idea until they kind of just drop that news on him, and he kind of realizes the severity of it at, in that moment. Yeah, he exactly. doesn't really realize how much trouble he's in until they let him know, yeah, the, you know, you're hoping for three years at this point. Yeah. It could be worse. So they fight tooth and nail, and he kind of, you know, uh, you know, it sucks, but he gets three years in prison. That's what he's told. Mm-hmm. So he, he's stuck there for three years, I'm trying to think of like what really happens before we then get the news that it's longer. Uh, he, um, you know, he meets some friends in the prison. Well, he first gets the shit completely like beat out of him. Like, I don't even really know why they beat the shit out of him. Like the very first time, I don't know, just so he knew he did something bad. Like, I don't know. They're just trying to beat it into him. And then, like you said, he meets his friends. There are three guys that become his friends. One of them becomes less important than the other two guys. And he kind of makes a bond with them. And they come up with... Is that when they is that when they come up with the escape plan or is that after? So there's one thing that I thought was interesting where one of his friends tells him, hey, we actually have an opportunity tonight. Yeah. Uh, the, the guards are a little low, right? Like, the guards are kind of dispersed. They're not super active tonight for some reason. We could theoretically escape tonight. Like, like, like we could get out of this. Or are you down to do this? And he says, no, I got about 100 days left until I'm out. I, I don't, like, if we get caught, like, it's just gonna, like I'll just be here for life. So I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna do it. So he refused to escape because he's so close to the end of his term. And because he makes that decision, we then find out, I believe, like the next scene right after, he pretty much goes back and they, they, they have a trial without him, really. He has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they push those three years to life. Yeah. So he now has a life sentence there. Yeah, and then his lawyer is literally trying to tell him this, and he is pissed. Literally just, like, wants to beat the shit out of him, but he can't because there's, like, bars or whatever in between them. Pretty emotional, him reliving everything again when he is so close 53 days away from getting out of prison for them to be like no it's actually going to be life we were just kidding about that three three years business sorry 
he's pretty he's pretty broke down at that point you know he he's pretty upset about it definitely yeah oh uh, was it life sentence or was it 30 years actually i'm starting to question either way it's basically basically life he's there for for the rest of his life essentially for just trying to bring some drugs you know like and like it was a decent amount but it wasn't even that much they even said hey really it wasn't a whole lot they were just trying to make an example out of him this is their way of kind of putting their foot down uh, to maybe warn other people to not do it. And so they're making an overall example and making it such an absurd length to maybe have people not want to attempt it anymore. It's kind of their way of using him as a scapegoat to prevent it from happening anymore in the future. So even everybody there realizes, yeah, they're intentionally making this as long and painful as possible just to send a message. It's not because. Like, nobody actually thinks what you did was that terrible. No, exactly. And I just want to point out something really quick. The prison system is so vastly different. For the smallest things, the guys literally just get the shit beat out of them constantly in this film. And you're like, oh my god, are they actually going to kill them? Because they're, like, so severely beating them. I think one of the more eye-opening scenes for me, personally, was... Uh, they took these small boys, and I don't even know what they did. They probably were anywhere from 10 to 15. Um, and they put this stool, and then they made them all put their feet up. And the way of beating them would just to be to beat their feet. So I think it was so they wouldn't escape. I couldn't figure it out. But, like, it was so severe. Just, like, the people crying in pain. I just thought that was a really interesting way of showing how how they beat them like there were other ways but that was the one that really stood out in my head and i literally can only come to the conclusion it was so they wouldn't try to escape they wouldn't try to do anything wrong because if someone beats your feet then you're not going to be able to walk very interesting hitting people's feet uh you know interesting method i guess that's just how the turks do it apparently yeah definitely i don't know i kind of wanted to research it at some point just to see like like what the main reason of doing like the main reason for them doing that basically we have him and two other guys uh really his two buddies uh they're Mm -hmm. trying to escape and so they're kind of picking away they got two bricks loose which then creates a tunnel which kind of you know kind of lucky that it turned into a tunnel a little magical there that uh two bricks led to a tunnel but anyway and and when they're doing this there is this other guy that's kind of like, I think he's like the prison narc. I'm not really sure yeah. what exactly he is, but he sleeps in the same room with him. So I don't know if he was actually in trouble or if he was just kind of like a guard or whatnot, but he's sleeping and they're slowly, they have the one guy watching him, making sure he's not making like any movement that he's not hearing him because it is, it is kind of loud, especially when they sit the big blocks down on the ground. Yeah. So I, I, it's very, it's kind of intense as well. Cause I'm like, oh my God, is he going to wake up? What's going to happen? Yeah. He's pretty much just the prison narc. It's kind of like, you know, when you're in school and you got that nerd in class, you know, the teacher's pet, he saw you guys uh, sneaking off to go, you know, throw some toilet paper in the washroom and he calls you out on the teacher. He's a student, but he likes the authority. Like he likes to make right. the authority, you know, he like little favors from the authorities. They, they they looked out for him when he got that thing missing. So they kind of backed him up. He feels like he's one with the authorities. He feels like he's a grown up. But in reality, he's just a little bitch. Because yeah, he uh, yeah. was narking on them. Nobody likes this guy. 
a spoiler, uh, he dies and he deserves it. Screw that guy. He's a huge dick anyway, so, yeah. So they take off the two bricks, you know, uh, the, the, the main guy and his two buddies, and the three of them go through the tunnel. They're in the sewers. But they kind of realize, okay, we spent a lot of time down here, but you got to go back so they don't realize it. And, and this is kind of where they have to make a big choice, right? Mm-hmm. They can either, A, continue down this tunnel and try and find a way out, but they've already spent a lot of time. And so they will get caught if they keep, if they keep trying to find a way out. They'll know they're missing, so they, they, they have to commit. Either they're escaping right now, or they go back and wait for the next night and try again and try and... You know, mm-hmm. gets the path quicker, so they're not spending so much time. So they have more time to escape, and, and and so that's really their big decision. Two of the guys, I believe, two of them want to keep going. Hey, we're free right now. We're gonna get like they're gonna realize we're uh, caught either way. Sure, we could have more time if we wait one more night, but we're here. Let's give this a chance. Let's try to escape right now. And the main guy, he's a little more calculated. He's a little more cautious. He goes, "Well, we spent a lot of time just finding this. Let's go back. Let's just." wait another night we know how to get here faster now we can have a bigger foot on them next night Mm -hmm. so they go back he convinces his two buddies they go back the narc finds the wall yep and they kill his two buddies and he now has this instant regret in his mind he is now you know theoretically he he helped lead his friends to death in a sense well well, no they didn't technically die at that point but like the one guy they like take the the big blonde guy away and they literally beat the shit out of this guy. And you don't see him for a while. So you think he's dead. But I don't think he actually, he died. I don't think he actually dies okay. at that point. Don't they take the other guy away because he hid that thing from the narc? He hid like one of his prized possessions and they come in the room and they're smashing the shit out of everything. That's when they take the other guy away. But then after he does that, the other guy just kind of loses his shit because Fuck, they just took both of his buddies away and he just literally cannot deal with it. He's just beating the shit out of this guy and he's literally like tearing his hands into his eyeball sockets. He's bleeding from his eyeball sockets. It's super intense. Crazy fight. So this movie did it first, guys. All right, this is the movie uh, before Game of Thrones when he crushed the guy's eyeballs. Yeah. Midnight Express did it first. 1978. That's right. 1978, it beat Game of Thrones yeah. by, you know, a couple decades. And then, you know, uh, and then he gets taken away to an insane asylum, and uh, this is pretty much where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost. The, the rest of the movie is kind of, you know, I was into it at this point. The narc dies, I go, okay, sweet. And then he's like in an insane asylum. Oh, like, what, what does he really do in this, in this uh, section of the prison? Like, what, like, what really happens um. for like the next 30 minutes? Okay, yeah, it does, it it has a little bit of a slow point here, but, like, they basically have beat him to, like, where he almost seems like now he has, like, a mild disorder because he has so much brain damage. I don't quite understand this point, but there is a circle that they walk around. Apparently, they think it's good luck to walk in a certain direction. And he eventually starts walking against it. I can't remember if that was before or after he meets his girlfriend, the, his girlfriend Vera from the very beginning of it. But then, then you also have the scene where the girlfriend comes and she hasn't seen him in so long. It's been at least three years. And she has this like little book of like his family and everything. And it's really sweet. And in the back, she 
on the back cover, she like pats it. Like you have to get out of here. Like uh, we have connections in Greece. If you just can just get across the Greece border. And then there's a scene that is pretty interesting for the Oscars where he is looking down at her chest. He hasn't seen boobs in so long. He basically just has a scene where he masturbates. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. He's got to jerk um, one for the boys. Yeah, yeah. Then he has the book. Um, she leaves. Basically, from that, it's a short story. He basically uh, tries to pay the lead guard off uh, with $100. Or okay, wait, sorry, sorry. You totally jump. The, the whole book with the photos is a total facade, right? Like, like, it was not supposed to be an emotional moment because the guards I, are listening to the whole conversation. I know, I know you get it, but you didn't explain it, so they oh, don't understand. Okay. So for those of you who haven't seen the film, the photo, Adrian made it sound like it was a real touching moment. It's a touching moment to trick the guards. It's to make them think that that's what she's doing. But she's pointing to the back of the book and saying, oh, look, this is a photo of your uncle in Greece or something. There's no photo. She's pointing at the back of the book to let him know she snuck in tons of money inside the book. I know Andrew understood that, but she didn't mention that at all. So when she says he's going to bribe the guard, it's with the money that was snuck into the book from his girlfriend. So I just want to quickly let him know where he got the money and explain what the book actually was significance of. So anyways, you can continue. But it was still a kind of a nice moment. Yeah, sure. There were tons of freaking pictures in there. Yeah. So he goes up to one of the guards, shows him all the money, and says, hey, you know, this is all yours. You can get me out of here, right? So he gets him the money. The guard pulls him not to the escape, but to a private room. All right, and so this is where we, you know, it gets a little frisky. You thought the uh, jerking off to some boobs was a little frisky. Uh, now it looks like the guard is pulling his pants down, and uh, it looks like it's going to get a little nasty, and that's when we basically have our lead character accidentally murder the guy because he pushes him and punches his head right into a coat hanger. Uh, and then, Andrew, did you want to kind of talk about the last, I guess, the last escape sequence, really? Um, yeah, so basically the last escape sequence is he kind of sees his moment to like really escape and wherever he has took him in the prison is an area where they have like extra uniforms for their guards and whatnot. So yeah, he literally puts a uniform on. Once again, I know we didn't really mention it, but there are so many places in this film where the score is like top notch. I think this was another one where he was trying to get out. It might have been another where they did the heartbeat. I can't what remember. What was this? Okay. Um, so you just, you hear that. And he's walking, he's walking past the guards. And then there's this one spot where he has to walk down these stairs, but there's a set of keys that he needs. And he doesn't know that because... He's not a guard. Anyway, the guard in the observation room hears him, and he kind of whistles at him. And he's like, oh, shit. Like, in his head, he's like, I'm caught, I'm caught. But the guard just throws the keys down to him because he's like, this idiot can't leave without these keys. <laughs> he walks out, and that's kind of the last, like, scene. Like, he passes one car of guards, and, like, you think they're going to stop him. They obviously don't. And that's where it ends. Like, literally, after that car passes, it kind of pauses, does a still frame. And it kind of gives you the, the text saying that, I think it was six hours later, he was in Greece, and he was a free man. He had made it across the border and uh, reunited with his family and everything. 
Yeah, I like how they book ended the uh, the heartbeats because as soon as they had the heartbeat coming back up, you're like, okay, this is it. This is the final chance for him to escape. They have that moment to dawn on you that either he makes or he doesn't. And so I thought that was really exciting. One other thing I thought was interesting is that this movie took place, like the story that's based on, took place in 1972, I believe. And this movie came out in 1978. So this like just happened. This is a brand new story. They didn't yeah. like wait a second to tell it. Nope, not at all. Which is kind of crazy. I feel like most true stories, you watch the movie based on a true story and you're like, okay, sure. It's from the 1950s and we're watching it now. Like it's normally like decades later. It's so crazy no. to me. It really is. Like how soon after they were like, okay, we're making a movie about this. This was like a crazy story that happened. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I was pretty shocked. So that's really everything for the Midnight Express. Anything else about the story that you wanted to, to uh, discuss? I mean, I don't have a lot more to add. Um, I will say, so I really like this film. I think I connected with it more. You know, it was dark. It was gritty. It kind of showed prison life. Um, how it is in Turkey. Um, I don't know. It was it was just depicted really well, um, and you know he made some really strong um, friendships in there. Um, something else I didn't really touch on is he. I'm not sure if he fell in love with the guy in prison, but they had a scene where he was kissing a guy in prison, kind of just showing affection and whatnot. Looking for comfort. Yeah, yeah looking for comfort. Someone else. Um, so they were. Kind of like a little bit of companionship, uh, but then that guy kind of was weeded it out of the film really quickly. So I'm not really sure what happened to that guy because they never actually went anywhere with it. But yeah, overall, I think it also just got me because it was a true story. Like, wow, this like could actually happen. Just stuff like this really blows my mind. And in other countries, um, you don't really realize like the punishment level is so much different because this guy had no idea this was going to happen to him. It was going to change his entire life upside down. And it looks like he came from a really wealthy family as well because we have a scene where his dad came and he was like, we'll get you out of here. We're going to get the best lawyers, everything like that. But like, even though his family seemed like they had all the money in the world, like it still wasn't enough for them to get him out of prison there. Yeah, so you liked it more because it was based on a true story, but what if I told you Heaven Can Wait was based on a true story? <laughs> I don't know if I can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> My God. That'd be a pretty wild true story. It would be a pretty wild story. So we could discuss the nominations it received, you know, the, uh, the, the handful that it did get. It was nominated for directing, similar to Heaven Can Wait. Uh, what do you think of the uh, directing choices for this movie? Directing choices. Um, I really liked it. I thought the direction was actually really well. Like I said, all the depictions, just the different things that they did in the film. Um... I'm, I'm assuming, would we count the heartbeat as a director's choice as well to make it, or would that fall under another category? It would be a director's choice. Yeah, yeah, I really like that too. As I like how it started and it ended with that. Like, yeah. it kind of just, like, made it all fit together. That's also kind of how you knew the film was ending as well. I, I really like the directing choice. And then uh, the editing, we can briefly talk on that. It, once again, uh, the editing of the first and last scenes were probably some of the strongest choices. Uh, a lot of the other stuff kind of dragged at times for me, but I thought uh, the editing as a whole, uh, pretty good. 
Uh, I thought it was a worthy nomination. I don't. I don't have much more to add to that. I did. I like the editing as well. Not much more to add. Yeah. Uh, this one adapted screenplay over Heaven Can Wait. I just, uh, you know, I might be a dumb question, but I'm pretty sure you were a fan of the adapted screenplay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I loved it. Definitely. Is that the one that it won? Yeah, it won that. It was very, very well deserved. The story was, I thought, honestly, pretty mind blowing. Definitely. Yeah. And then the score, it won for best score as well. Not surprised. Not surprised. It was honestly, I'm not someone that remembers much of scores. Like, I'm sure if you listen to these podcasts and films are up for scores, I hardly ever remember this. But this one is one that, like, sticks in my head still. Yeah, I think the catchphrase for Andrew goes, uh, I don't really remember that score, but uh, I'm sure it's fun. <laughs> we should have like a thing where I'm just going over all the scores and then like this is the only one I remember. <laughs> yeah. And that says something. Yeah, the score is a pretty unique and yeah. it's really eerie and intense. So it will fit the style well. I wanted to say one more thing since we were talking about the score that we didn't talk about during the podcast is there is the first scene where he tries to escape and he's looking over the railing. I just remember the score being super intense during that point because he's like, do they see me? Do they not see me? I thought it was so good. It gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Was sound a category back in the 70s? I feel like it wasn't. But if it was a category, uh, this probably should have won because the heart beating was really great. And then with the heartbeat, every sound during those scenes was amplified to really make it feel intense. Um, I'm not too sure if it was a category back then because I'm pretty sure all that jazz, which came out about, well, maybe close to 10 years later, that one best sound, I'm pretty sure. So I don't know if maybe it was within that period they got the category. But this film did have really good sound, but it did not get a nomination. The final nomination it did get was Supporting Actor, which went to John Hurt, which was one of his two escape buddies. It was the one with the long hair and the glasses. What did you think of that performance? Yeah, no, I really liked Max. I thought he added a lot of flavor. He was a guy that they said had been in the prison for the longest. He was the American that had been in the prison the longest out of all of them. Um, And so he kind of knew a lot more about the prison. They kind of got a lot of the knowledge from him. So overall, he was a pretty well-developed character. He was also the one that also had the beef with the narc in the prison as well. So he he had quite a bit of character development. And then at the end, it was actually a really touching scene. He's about to escape and he goes and he, he kisses Max on the forehead and he says, I'm going to come back for you, Max. I'm going to come back and get you. Yeah, and that's the last that we see Max. Um, I, thought he, I thought he was great. So that's everything for the Midnight Express. For the storyboard for the film, I guess I'll go first. And I'll say, uh, dude, try to sneak in drugs. Gets caught and tries to sneak out himself. I'll go with guy got busted. Guy tried to escape. Guy got beat. But then guy won. (laughs) All right. (laughs) There's a lot of guys in that set. There was a lot of guys. Whoa. Um, So, you know, those are 
thoughts on both of the films Heaven Can Wait and The Midnight Express for this podcast. Uh, what would be your scores for these two movies? So obviously, we're both on Letterbox. You can follow us there. But, uh, you know, we tend to go off of the Letterbox scoring system where you can go from a 0.5 star all the way to 5 stars. So, Andrew, what would be your score for, uh, let's start with the first one, Heaven Can Wait. Yeah, so like I said, it was solid. Um, I think I'm going to end up putting this movie at a 3. At a 3. I'm I'm also going to put it at a 3. I'm leaning towards a 3 for Heaven Can Wait. For Midnight Express, mm, yeah, I've kind of convinced myself with, I like the heartbeat scenes and stuff. I'll give it a three and a half. So that's my thoughts on those two. Three stars for The Heaven Can Wait. I bet it's a high three. I think it's a really fun film. Midnight Express, a low 3.5. So even though, you know, you know I, I, I liked them both a decent amount. What yeah. about you for Midnight Express? Um, I, I assumed I was going to be a little higher than you. Um, I'm going to go with a four. It's a solid four for me. It kept my attention. I was... Um, into the story. So yeah, a four. Perfect. So that's everything on our end for this podcast. You can hear us back. I promise in two weeks time, we're going to keep mm-hmm. this schedule on track here yep. for the next two nominations coming home and an unmarried woman. Can't wait. Perfect. <laughs> I really, we're now we're back on track for yeah. Oscar feeling movies. Maybe, maybe these two will surprise us and they will be we'll horror films or something. Who knows? But have a fantastic day, everybody. Have a good day. Bye.